well. It is time for us to go to a story that, whew, well, it's been going on for a good two years. It was in March 2020 that uh, there was an announcement of the first uh, person testing positive of COVID-19. The first case was confirmed. We are now two years later, 5th of March, and we thought let's uh, let's give it a quick look back and perhaps even a look forward as well. And we've got uh, someone we all respect and is doing incredible work, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, Prof Slim, clinical infectious diseases epidemiologist. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning to all of the listeners. So, Prof, let's um, go back and maybe... When you look at where we are today, I, I read an article where you said that actually you thought whilst we might have done some things wrong, we did do a lot of stuff that was right with regards to the last two years of COVID. Yes, I've been uh, involved in various international fora and committees and commissions looking at the global response to the pandemic and have been involved in looking at the responses to the COVID pandemic in many countries, you know, well over 40, 50 countries. And as we look at each of these countries and try and draw on what was done that we can learn from, it's been quite fascinating as an experience to understand the challenges that this virus presents in the context of different societies and the way in which they've responded. I think I can summarize it uh, and it's an oversimplification, but those countries that based their response on a fundamental understanding that everybody is interconnected, that yeah. what one person does impacts other people. In other words, in countries where they put the greater good, where they put the community first, those countries have generally done much better. And South Africa is in that group of countries that put a lot of emphasis on individuals taking action, not only to protect themselves, but to protect others. Now, in every yeah. country, there are always individuals and groups who have their own ideas about things, which is important. But in, in general, that's been an important trend. Prof, do you feel that you know we've turned we've turned a corner? And and uh, I'll put, add something to that is that I know that all the way through we've been talking about this idea of what happens when a pandemic actually becomes endemic. And I wondered if you felt that perhaps we had moved into that space. So unfortunately, we oh are <laughs> not in that phase. <laughs> And unfortunately, yeah. we haven't turned any corner. And the reason okay. for that is that we are still uh, in a period of uncertainty. Yeah. And that uncertainty emerges because of new variants. Because we don't know what the next variant is going to look like, the extent to which it will cause severe or mild disease, whether it will escape immunity or not. All of those characteristics we cannot predict. And the reason we cannot predict them is that the individual variants, we've had five so far in the world, variants mm. of concern, they emerge 
and they evolve independently of each other. In other words, they hmm. don't come one, one from the next. One after the other, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the previous one doesn't lead to the next one. The next one uh, emerges through an independent evolutionary process. Oh. And so that's why nobody predicted Omicron and nobody can predict what the next variant will look like. In fact, we don't even know or if whether it's going to be, be as, Or whether it'll be as mild. I mean, so Omicron exactly. is mild. So the next one could be a whole different uh, variant altogether, is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. That's our problem. Uh. It's that uncertainty that puts us in a situation where we simply cannot rest on our laurels and say, okay, you know, it's all done now. We can get back to our lives. Sure. That's kind of, I mean, because one gets a sense, and it's it, perhaps it's because I noticed that there are a lot more events, certainly that I've attended, where um, in the public space, physical events, people are moving off like sort of hybrid events and into physical spaces as well. And there's this sort of, as I said a few nights ago, it felt like this frisson of of like terror and excitement at the same time because we're around all these people and some of them aren't wearing masks, but suddenly we're doing it as though things are shifting and changing. Well, the one thing, Michelle, that we have a pretty good understanding of in South Africa, and that yeah. is that our epidemic comes in waves. Yeah. And so at the end of a wave, we know we have about a three-month period where it's low transmission. And it actually doesn't matter too much what you do. It matters to some extent because you don't want to create a new wave. But the, the wave, this interwave period, has tended to be pretty consistent. And if the past trend continues, we are in that three-month period. Now yeah. is the time to have your parties and whatever else you want to <laughs> yes. have because it's a good time right now. So are you, so if we're in the three-month wave, when, when might we see the next, the three-month period, when might we see the next wave coming through? So we're likely to see the next wave, if there is going to be one, at yeah. the end of April. Okay, so let's look towards the end of April. I can't bear it. Which means get your shots, get your booster shots. I mean, obviously there's concern that uh, the numbers are low on people who are choosing not to be vaxxed. And that could be vaccine hesitancy or just vaccine refusal as well. And that's uh, been discussed here on the radio station, so I won't go into that in depth. But it does mean that one should still go and, and, and get vaccinated, given that we may see a whole new uh, variant come through. Yes. So one of the good things that we've seen so far yeah. is that regardless of the variant yeah. and regardless of the type of vaccine that we are using, yeah. in other words, all the vaccines do this and pretty much against all variants, is that they're quite effective in preventing severe disease. So yeah. your probability of getting severe disease and being hospitalized is significantly lower. I mean, normally the level of protection against severe disease is in the 80, 90% range. So that's, yeah. you know, anybody who is not getting vaccinated needs to ask that question, do I want to be one of those going to hospital and being on a ventilator, or do I want to be one of the, the individuals that's protected by a vaccine and doesn't get to that stage? Yeah. And so that's the critical thing. But one must remember 
that vaccines do more than protect the individual. Vaccines are more than what a person who's vaccinated benefits. A vaccinated person who gets infected has a lower amount of virus in their throat and nose. A person who's vaccinated when they do become infected and they are getting breakthrough infections are infectious for a shorter period. And now there's good studies. Just last week there was a terrific study that showed that if you're vaccinated and you get infected, your risk of passing on the virus to your household contacts and your contacts in your office and in the transport is 68% lower if you've taken two doses of Pfizer. Now, you want to do this not just for yourself, but you also want to take your vaccine to protect others. Yeah, and particularly those who have comorbidities around us as well. Prof, we have a message from one of our listeners. I'll go into it. Hi, Michelle. Please would you ask Prof Slim what he thinks about the lessons learned from this pandemic and how we approach the health crisis of um, the climate heating. Thank you, Judy KZN. Prof Slim, I mean, it's, one thinks that the two are separate, but they're not at all. I mean, we understand that uh, a lot of uh, what the issues are around climate change is that uh, animals and humans are, are, are moving closer and closer together in terms of geography, and that's why we're seeing viruses jump jump across. But I, I, perhaps you can answer that better. Yeah, so you, you've touched on an important aspect. But I think what we are seeing is that that the same uh, failures that we've experienced at the global level in COVID-19 are the same failures we've been dealing with in climate change. And those failures are first and foremost that we need to tackle a pandemic as a globe. We need to tackle it standing together. The last thing you want to be doing is fighting amongst each other when you should be fighting the pandemic. And it's the same with climate change. You can't deal with climate change in one country. You have to deal with it all together. We all need to contribute to it. So it doesn't help when we have a minister who is, you know, a person who's promoting coal when the rest of the world is moving away from coal. So you've got to have a situation where we are all working, pulling together at some level. We can have our little differences, but we've got to pull together. If we can't do that, we're not going to solve climate change, and we're certainly not going to solve a pandemic. Okay, Ish wants to know um, uh, around the question, the evidence that pets and wild animals can also catch and spread and mutate COVID-19. Obviously, how does this affect the um, herd immunity idea. So he's quite right. There are many animals that get infected with SARS-CoV-2. You may have heard the, you know, the lions, uh, no, the tiger in uh, Bronx Zoo got infected with SARS-CoV-2. Normal cats and dogs get infected. Uh, There was a huge outbreak in a mink farm in Denmark, for example. So there are many animals that get this virus. So we can never really eradicate this virus. We're going to have to live with this virus forever almost or for a long period because even if we clear it in humans, it will still be present in animals. Okay. In closing, the way forward, 
get vaccinated, get your booster. Please tell me that now that we've had our booster, we're not going to have to get another one soon, soon. So <laughs> the one the one very positive thing that has come out of Omicron that we have seen yeah. is that when you get your third dose uh, of vaccine, yeah. the levels of antibodies remain quite high. And it's only those who had received their boosters that were really protected from Omicron. And we expect that all of the different variants so far, when your antibody levels are high, that they still do pretty well in protecting you. You do get breakthrough infections because no vaccine is 100% protective. But the level of protection is still very good. So what we are learning is that we're probably going to need everybody's probably going to need to take three doses of the vaccine. doesn't look like the fourth dose does much to help, yeah. but three doses seems to be pretty good. Well, we watch, uh, we watch and we wait with interest and, I mean, and with a level of fear. As um, Terence says, people become too complacent and it's wrong to think that COVID-19 is a thing of the past. It's scary, very scary. And I would agree with what Terence says as well. Masks, just in closing, Prof Slim, masks. Um, do we keep them on? Do we take them off? Do we, I mean, some, I read this really hilarious tweet where a teacher said she took off her mask in front of her pupils and it was the first time they'd ever seen her full face. <laughs> and they were like, wow, really? Is that what you look like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be lovely now that you know, people greet you and you can actually figure out who they are because you yeah, can see their face. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, it's going to be a challenge. So, I think, I mean, I don't know what the government is planning in terms of masks, but certainly what we are seeing from the experiences of many countries is you can get rid of the masks uh, in the outdoors. Yeah. It doesn't seem to make much difference. But in indoor situations, masks make a big difference. So it will be a differential use of masks in the future. Okay, fantastic. Prof, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, great to get your insights. Prof Salim Abdul Karim, clinical infectious disease epidemiologist. Prof Slim, as we know him. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how our epidemiologists in this country have become total rock stars. I was recently at an event in Cape Town where um, Prof Tulio Dolivero was, and he's, of course, one of the other epidemiologists. 